Music, arts, and lifestyle. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Brought to you by Elisa Ilana Jewelry. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Legendary Northern Ireland punk band Stiff Little Fingers led the punk movement in the late 70s with their personal and political lyrics and infectious hooks. And through breakups, lineup changes, and new music, they have maintained iconic music status, influencing such bands as Green Day and many others. They've just released a fan-funded album, No Going Back, and Jake Burns, lead singer and guitarist, joins us now to talk about Stiff Little Fingers' place in music history, plus the new music. He's a punk rocker, he's a singer, and the band's named Stiff Little Fingers. And Jake Burns joins us today. Welcome to the show, Jake. Nicely harmonized. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so you guys were recently back in the studio with No Going Back. So what led to No Going Back? Well, I mean, it's been a very long time since our, our last record. I think it's like 11 years. Okay. <clears throat> and, I mean, there was no one reason for that. That happens with a lot of people. Real life kind of got in the way, exactly. from my point of view. Uh-huh. Um, and also, I'd written about eight or nine songs, I think, about five, six years ago. Okay. Um, so we thought we were on the verge of, of going into a studio, mm-hmm. and, and that coincided with my 50th birthday. Okay. Uh, and generally, I don't, I don't tend to make a big deal of birthdays, but my wife was very keen at being the 50th to make, you know, to, to sort of mark the milestone, if you like. Okay. She basically threw this sort of enormous party um, where, like, friends of mine flew in from, from everywhere, which was, which was great. It was a bit like a, 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 an episode of This Is Your Life, though. Okay. I mean, it's like every time the, the door of the bar opened, some part of my past walked through it. Uh-huh. Um, which was great, you know, but... That was a lot um, of work your wife did. It really did, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I had to go some way to try and match it on her 50th. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, I think because of that, the actual idea that I'd turned 50 was kind of preying on my mind a bit, uh-huh. uh, more than it would have done. Uh, and also, we immediately went straight on tour. So like I said, I'd written about eight or nine songs. I came home from the tour and sat down and listened to the songs through and effectively just didn't like them. I mean, they, they kind of felt like writing by numbers. I, I kind of felt like I was, I was writing because I felt I had to rather than there was something, anything I wanted to say or, yeah. or, or do. Uh-huh. So I basically phoned the band and said, okay, I'm going to scrap those songs, which, of course, led to nobody talking to me for about a week. <laughs> they were like, we thought we had an album. I said, well, right. guys, it's really, you know, we can make a better record than this. And so if for all that initially from the outside looks like it took 10, 11 years, in fact, it only took about five, which is still... As somebody pointed out to me, it only took Michelangelo four years to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. So, you know, it's, <laughs> right. it's still a bit of time, you know. Uh-huh. It's all relative, right? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah, and then we, we did the thing, uh, as you mentioned, it was fan-funded. We went through pledge yeah. music, uh-huh. which was a, an interesting and ultimately really kind of inspiring thing to so do. So what led to doing it that way? Well, we did speak to a number of record deals. Unlike a lot of bands, we've... We've never been badly treated by record labels. I know, okay. I know lots of my friends have got horror stories, but, you know, in general, everybody's been pretty decent with us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, we, you know, we went back to our, or the people we knew at EMI uh, and spoke to them. And it was interesting because it wasn't that they were unenthusiastic. It, they, if anything, they were actually unenthusiastic about their role in things. Mm. It, was, it was almost like they couldn't, see, they couldn't see the point in a traditional record company these days, and, but they were actually saying as much to us, you wow. know. And the more we thought about it, the more we thought, you know, they're probably right, because, you know, back in the day, the, the reason, and you'll know this yourself, since you signed with MCA and stuff, I mean, back in the day, the reason that you, you wanted a, to get a deal with a record label was so they could get your records into stores. Well, right. since the rise of the Internet, and particularly Amazon and iTunes, 
record stores as we knew them don't really exist anymore. Mm -hmm. And the gatekeepers Um, are not really there. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of, when we were speaking to them, they were almost, like I said, sort of dismissive of their own role in in the music business. And then, you know, our manager started saying, well, why don't we go down the fan-funded route? Because that way, you know, you started out as an independent band, you're going to get all your independence back again. Right. um, Right. And you can effectively make the record that you want to make. I mean, you know, like I said, we never had much interference from record labels anyway, so it appealed to us on the on the independent side of things and the fact we really could make, like you said, the, absolutely the record we wanted to. You wouldn't have anybody leaning over your shoulder and saying, I don't hear a single here, guys. Right. And you're like, well, you know, that's not what we're aiming for. You know, let's, or that let's song just... doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah, let, let's just record the whole damn thing and see what it sounds like at the end. <laughs> right. You've got it here on the Mulberry Lane Show, and we're talking with Jake Burns. He's the lead singer of the punk rock band from Belfast, Stiff Little Fingers. Now, you said you found it inspiring. Was that because you know fans were weighing in and you kind of had more of a relationship with the fans throughout the process? Absolutely. I mean, again, when we spoke to the to our managers about it, they said, you know, the great thing about this is you're effectively getting your audience involved from day one. I mean, yes. traditionally, the, the audience's involvement is you make the record, they buy it, and they tell you whether they like it or not. At mm-hmm. this stage, they're effectively, they are your record label. It's a huge leap in the dark on, on you know, a huge leap of faith on their part, because they're they're basically buying a record they haven't heard. Now, you know, a couple of people made this point uh, as we were trying to, you know, as we had said we were going to do this. It's like, well, why should I buy a record I haven't heard? I think right. we, we set ourselves a two-month limit to raise the money and actually raised it in under 12 hours. Which wow, that's awesome. Astonishing. You know? yeah. and, and that's what I mean about it being inspiring. Because that you suddenly would be realize, very inspirational. Yeah, because you realize how much these guys actually believe in you. With the greatest will in the world, you know, EMI, Sony, MCA, whoever, or they certainly wouldn't give you that sense of belief that no. you get, you know, you got from the audience straight away. Right. right. Of course, the flip side to that coin, as again, our managers pointed out, luckily they waited until we'd raised the money before they, <laughs> before they mentioned this. But <laughs> they said, you know, of course, you know, had we gone to EMI and they'd said we're not interested we then could have gone to sony we could have gone to warners we could you know there are other record labels we could have gone to however doing it this way you're basically going to your audience and saying we're going to make a record are you interested now if they say no yeah there's nowhere else to go really (laughs) right that would be kind of inspiring and terrifying in equal (laughs) measure now you said that you know you had that batch of songs and we're Hmm. ready to do an album and then you scrapped all that did you have a hard time finding inspiration again? Did that come? Not at all. I mean, okay. you know, it's in general, you know, it's, it's something I've, I've pretty much said my entire career is that I've, the, the one thing I can't write, cannot write love songs, I'm just no good at it. It, okay. it, it invariably comes out sounding like bad fourth form poetry. It's just okay. awful. That's someone else's job. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, again, I'm not going to be able to write When a Man Loves a Woman. You know, it's like, like you're kind of putting yourself up against, like, some of the greatest songs ever yeah. written there. Whereas if you write a song about being fed up in Northern Ireland, you're kind of number one on a chart of one, yeah. you know. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so kind of do what you do. Yeah, exactly. Basically, I've always found, if you like, inspiration in anything that offends my sense of justice. And, you know, I think over the last sort of six to ten years, there hasn't been any shortage of that, you know. Right, so. Sure. I really didn't find any shortage of, of subject matter, okay. that's for sure. Now, you guys broke up for about five years in the mm-hmm. middle there. And mm-hmm. then during that time, then you guys got back together and toured, and your audiences had grown. That is a rare feat. 
for a bit. Yeah, I think you know. I think that's the key to longevity. Really, we should just quit altogether, and we'd be huge. I mean, uh, but no, seriously. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was bizarre. We really didn't. We did not see that coming so at what, all. So, what do you think it was? Was it word of mouth or things that had happened while you were broken up? I think it might have been. I don't think any of us actually realized the depth of affection that the audience had for the band in the first place. Okay. Um, so I think that that's why we were kind of taken aback by it. But I also think, and again, you know, talking to a lot of people at the time was, you know, they basically said that, you know, well, there hasn't been anything that's happened in the interim that's excited us to any great degree, you know, and I don't think it would have been just us. I think, you know, had the clash reformed, for example, it would have been even on a bigger scale, you know, much bigger Uh scale, because I think people were realizing how much they kind of missed bands like themselves and like them and like ourselves, you know, so, you know, I think that was a big part of it, you know. Uh And then do you think the fact that the music had stood the test of time and the messages were still relevant that probably helped as well and again we mentioned you know we just touched on the subject matter and stuff i think it's sad that the the messages are still relevant but you know realistically you know the way i thought that we wrote songs anyway was sort of in the grand tradition of protest singers anyway so you Uh know we were as relevant as, as, say, a Bruce Springsteen or before him a Bob Dylan was, you know. Uh-huh. Um, well, hopefully. Hopefully I'm not blowing my trumpet too much by, by mentioning those names, but you know what I mean. Yes. I mean, it's the style rather than, than the artist. But it was, you know, I think that there's always been uh, a place for for that type of song. In a way, almost like, you know, when the, when the sort of the first depression happened and Hollywood started making all these sort of fluffy musicals and stuff just uh-huh. to try and take people's minds off what was happening in their real lives. Right. I think that the music industry kind of went down that path and I think that's why we've ended up with so many of the, like America's Got Talent type shows, which right. are almost dangling an impossible carrot in front of people as in, you know, they'll take your mind off the, the harsh reality of your life and there's a possibility you'll win the jackpot at the end of the rainbow kind of thing. Yeah. I also think that there are a number of people out there who not necessarily want to be reminded of it, but actually want to, you know, sort of yeah, okay, that's, that's all fine and dandy, but actually this is happening in my life and I'm really not that damn happy about it. You know? uh, we'll uh, stay with us here on the Mulberry Lane Show. We'll be back with more from Jake Burns, frontman of Belfast punk band, Stiff Little Thing a band that has influenced other bands like U2 and Green Day. So now if you're 